In this story, four guys climb on top of a roof, carrying their friend who is paralyzed. Then they cut a hole into the top of somebody's roof. And then they lower their friend down on some kind of bed with the hope that a local healer in the house named Jesus will help their friend. As I recreated this scene in my imagination, the first thought that came to my mind was, wow, these guys are bold. These guys are committed. And then I started to wonder, do I have friends like this in my life? Do I have friends that bold, that committed to my well-being? And I started to reflect on the many friendships that have come into my life and some friendships that have gone out of my life. And, and even the friendships that have remained, I noticed there's a, an ebb and flow to relationships. And I did realize with great appreciation and gratitude that for most of my life, I've had good friends. I've had close friends. But there have been a few seasons in my life where I felt, and maybe this wasn't the reality, but I felt alone. I felt like I didn't really have a friend who truly understood me and, and the experience I was having, the season of life that I was going through. And upon further reflection, I, I realized that that's okay, that Actually, a lot of good and growth came through those seasons. And as I reflected on my 47 years of friendships, I realized something else. I realized that God has been faithful to bring the right friends into my life at the right time. Maybe not always when I wanted them to come into my life, but I really see that. That God brought the right friends into my life at the right time. But I also realized, as faithful as God is in this area of friendship, we are not always faithful friends. We can drive people out of our lives. We can ruin friendships. We can push potential friendships away by negative attitudes by our behavior. Maybe we're a little too eager, or maybe we have too many protective walls preventing people from getting close. Maybe we're a little gossipy. There there are many ways that we can mess up relationships in life. But friendships are a gift. And I believe one of the most amazing gifts that we can receive in life, and gifts that God wants to bring into our lives. But like all of God's gifts, we can reject them. We can reject the gifts of God and we can reject the gift of friendship. We can spoil the gifts of God that are brought into our lives. And we can spoil the friendships in our lives. We can hinder the flow of God's gifts into our lives and we can hinder the flow of friendship into our lives. I don't remember many of my 
youth pastor's sermons, but I remember this one. It was on friendship, and it was based on a passage of Scripture, Proverbs 18, verse 24. And in the King James Version, Proverbs 18, 24 says this, A man that hath friends must show himself to be friendly. A person that has friends has to be friendly. And the point of my youth pastor's message was this. If you want good friends in life, you need to be a good friend. In this universe, there are laws. And one of the laws of the universe we live in is the law of reciprocity. Jesus talks about the law of reciprocity quite frequently in the Gospels. When Jesus says, you reap what you sow, Jesus is talking about the law of reciprocity. When Jesus says, the measure you give is the measure you will receive, Jesus is talking about the law of reciprocity. Now some of you are wondering, that sounds like a lot of fun to say reciprocity. And you're right, it is. It's a fun word to say. Try that at home, reciprocity. But the law of reciprocity in friendship is, is simply what my youth pastor taught me many years ago. If you want to receive good friends in your life, you need to be a good friend. The second part of Proverbs 18.24 says, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother or sister. There is a special kind of friend in life that is closer than family. And these friendships are rare and they are priceless. They are more valuable than gold. And if you have one of these friends, some of you may even have more than one of these friends. And if you do, you need to appreciate them. And you need to thank God. Because that is an amazing gift you've received. Now some of you... Maybe you're going through a season of life where you feel like you don't have one of those friends. I would encourage you to do two things. The first thing is ask God. Ask God for a true friend. Jesus says God is our parent. And every good parent wants to give good gifts to their children, Jesus says. How much more does our heavenly parent want to give us good gifts? Including the good, wonderful gift of a true friend. So ask God to bring a true friend into your life. But the second thing I would encourage you to do is to ask yourself how you can become a better friend. What do you need to work on in your life? What are some things that you need to to stop doing or start doing? What is it that you can do to become a better friend to the people who are in your life and the, the people that God wants to bring into your life? Remember the law of reciprocity. The higher quality of friendship that you offer, the higher quality of friendship you will draw into your life. Well, that's the first F word that jumped out to me in this passage of Scripture. Friendship. The power of friendship. The second F word is faith. The power of faith. And this one is a bit more complicated than it sounds. When Jesus sees this man lying on a mat or a bed, paralyzed, he does something unexpected. Everyone in that house is expecting Jesus to heal this paralyzed man. That includes the religious leaders. There's a lot of religious leaders gathered in this house. They've come from all over. The gospel tells us to check out Jesus, what he's doing, what he's saying, what he's teaching. And these religious leaders 
are expecting Jesus to heal this man. They've, they've heard stories about his, his power to heal people. He's becoming famous as a healer. They're quite surprised when Jesus doesn't heal this man, but says, your sins are forgiven. Not only are they surprised, but they're disturbed and they're angry. This is blasphemy. No one's expecting Jesus to do what he does, including the paralyzed man and his friends. (laughs) They didn't climb up onto a rooftop, cut a hole in the roof, and lower their friend down for his sins to be forgiven. They went through all that work so that their friend could be healed. So they're probably not only surprised, but a little disappointed. So why does Jesus forgive this man before he heals him? It's a good question. Some Christians assume that there is a connection in this passage between forgiveness and healing. And they make the assumption that this passage is is revealing that in order for us to receive God's healing, we need first to have our sins forgiven. That unconfessed, unforgiven sin in our lives kind of hinders or prevents the flow of God's healing into our lives. I think that's a faulty assumption to take from this passage of Scripture for a number of reasons. The the first reason would be this. If you look at all the other healings in the Gospel story, you realize that this is the only time that Jesus forgives someone before He heals them. Go through the Gospels. People come. They ask Jesus for healing. And Jesus heals them. There's no confession Jesus doesn't say you must repent. We've got to deal with your sin first. They come to Jesus. They ask him for healing. Jesus responds by healing. This healing story does not enforce a pattern. It is not the the rule in Jesus' healing ministry. It's the exception to the rule in Jesus' healing ministry. I mean, if you look further, there's there's no evidence in this passage that this man asks to be forgiven, that he confesses his sin, that he repents. Jesus just forgives him of his sins. Why? Well, if you read through the passage of Scripture here, you you see that the, the answer to that question is in the passage. So Jesus pronounces this man's sins forgiven, and the religious leaders react to that. They react the way Jesus knows that they will react. In fact, Jesus is kind of baiting them here. Jesus knows that they are going to react by calling him a blasphemer. How does Jesus know that? Because Jesus knows that by doing this, he is revealing himself to have godlike power. That's how the religious leaders perceive what Jesus is doing. You are claiming to be equal with God. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. Who do you think you are, Jesus? The reason the religious leaders perceive Jesus to be doing that is because that is what Jesus is doing. He's revealing his true identity. He's revealing that I am in God and God is in me. And yes, I do have the authority to forgive sins. And then Jesus says this to everyone in the room, including the religious leaders. Jesus says, tell me, is it harder for me to say your sins are forgiven? Or is it more difficult for me to say to a man who is paralyzed, stand up and walk, be healed. What demonstrates the power of God and the authority of God in my life more? Saying your sins are forgiven or healing a man who is paralyzed? And everyone in the room knows the obvious answer. It's definitely trickier 
to heal a paralyzed man than to say the words, you are forgiven. And then Jesus says this, I'm going to prove to you that I have the authority to forgive sins. And the way I'm going to prove that to you is by healing this paralyzed man. So that's the answer to our question. Why does Jesus forgive him before healing him? Because Jesus is demonstrating and proving that he has the authority to forgive sins. So the next question that jumps out at me is, is what moves Jesus to forgive and heal this paralyzed man? In many of Jesus' healing stories, Jesus says to the person he has healed, your faith has made you whole. It's because of your faith that you have been healed. But Jesus doesn't say that to the paralyzed man in this story. In fact, the text tells us that it's because Jesus sees the faith of his friends that he is moved to forgive and heal this man. It's because of the faith of his friends. That's really interesting. That that makes you wonder, how powerful is faith? As I started to think about that, I mean, the implication is that our faith is so powerful, it not only has the power to to bring blessing and and growth and healing and renewal into our own lives, it actually has the power to, to bless and impact and bring growth and healing and renewal to the people around us, even people who don't share our faith. That is worth thinking about and reflecting. I mean, that's a real word of encouragement to those of you who are, are, are praying for someone in your life who doesn't share your faith. It's an encouragement to keep praying because your faith is more powerful than you realize. Your faith has the power to impact and bless and bring healing and renewal and growth to the people in your life, even if they don't share your faith. But it's also a word of encouragement to those of us who are going through a season where our faith is weak. Maybe we're struggling to have faith. Maybe we're losing our faith. Maybe we feel like we've lost faith. Sometimes we have to rely on the faith of other people. I know that was true in my life. I, I went through a season in my life where I didn't have a lot of faith. And it was the faith of my parents and mentors and and friends and and other people that God had brought into my life. It was their faith that actually carried me through and helped me navigate through an interesting time of my life. And and it was their faith that, that blessed me and brought growth and healing and renewal into my life. Faith isn't just a, a personal thing. Faith is a communal thing. Faith is is like an energy that we participate in. And and sometimes when we don't have the capacity to participate in the energy of faith, sometimes just being in community, being in relationship with people who are participating in the energy of faith can impact us, can carry us through, can bring healing and renewal into our lives. Faith is powerful. That's the second F. I have a third F, and it's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus says, young man, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders, they say that's blasphemy. And Jesus responds with an interesting phrase. He says, I'm going to prove to you that the Son of Man 
has the authority to forgive sins. That phrase is interesting. The Son of Man. It's actually Jesus' favorite reference for himself. It's used over 80 times in the Gospels. Jesus, more than any other phrase or name, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus means by that. There's no consensus among biblical scholars as to what exactly Jesus is implying by using that phrase to describe himself. Lots of theories, and it it seems to fluctuate depending on the circumstance that Jesus is in when he uses that phrase. There's certainly a, a connection to a passage in Daniel, and many Christians tend to interpret Jesus' use of that phrase, the Son of Man, through that Daniel passage, but the reality is the Son of Man is also used in the book of Ezekiel 93 times. And in the book of Ezekiel, the Son of Man simply means a human being. And most of the time, I believe when Jesus is using the phrase Son of Man to describe himself, he is he's emphasizing his humanity. Not just his humanity, but his shared humanity with you and I. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is also the Son of Man, a human being. In Christ, we have divinity and humanity coexisting in Jesus. And that's important to to understand because as we continue to go through the Gospels, we see that whatever belongs to the Son of God also belongs to the Son of Man. And whatever belongs to the Son of Man is shared with humanity. An example, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus calls the gift of God. God the Father shares that with the Son of God. What belongs to the Son of God also belongs to the Son of Man. And what belongs to the Son of Man is shared with humanity. That's how we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is why Paul says we are co-heirs with Christ. It means whatever belongs to the Son of God belongs to the Son of Man, which is shared with us, human beings. The inheritance, the full inheritance of the Son of God belongs to us as well. Now, what does that have to do with this passage of Scripture? I believe what Jesus is saying when he uses the phrase, the Son of Man, he's saying not only that he has the authority to forgive sins, he's teaching people that humanity has the power and authority to forgive sins. Now, why would I assume that? Some of you are probably uncomfortable with that statement. Well, one of the reasons that I believe that's what Jesus is communicating is found in, in this story in the Gospel of Matthew. This, this story is, is in all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The healing and the forgiving of sins of the, the man who is paralyzed in the Gospel of Matthew. Listen to the reaction of the crowd. It's found in chapter 9, verse 8. When the crowd saw this, that Jesus had forgiven the sins of this man who was paralyzed and healed him, they were filled with awe and glorified God who had given such authority to human beings. Not to a human being, but plural, to human beings. They were blown away. They were mystified that what Jesus was was demonstrating and teaching was that God had given authority 
to forgive sins, not just to a man, but to men, plural. Now, some of you are still probably thinking that's that's still kind of speculative. Is that really what Jesus is teaching? Well, thankfully, Jesus makes this teaching explicitly clear. Now, those of you who have been reading along in the gospel passages, you know that we deviated from our regular gospel readings uh, Holy Week because we wanted to spend time in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection for Easter. So the gospel readings for this past Sunday, Easter Sunday, was John chapter 20 and John 21. I want to read to you three verses from John chapter 20. And the risen Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said this, If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. That's pretty clear. Some Christians believe that that authority to forgive sins was just for the original disciples, just the original apostles. Some denominations believe that that authority to forgive sins belongs just to clergy, ordained priests and and pastors, uh, Catholics, for example. Now, we are a Mennonite church. We are a part of the Anabaptist tradition, and we, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. All believers, all followers of the way of Jesus in Christ have a priestly role. A part of the priestly role in the Old Testament and throughout church history, a part of the priestly role is to forgive sins, to pronounce the forgiveness of sins. What this means is in the Spirit, I believe we all have the authority to forgive sins. Now, the the key phrase here is in the Spirit. Before Jesus gives the disciples the authority to forgive sins, Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's only in the Spirit that we have the authority to forgive sins. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a priest or you're the Pope. Your ego doesn't have the authority to forgive sins. It's only the Spirit of God that has the authority to forgive sins. And as a priest, you are a priest. In Christ, you are a priest. In Christ, the Spirit of God, the forgiveness of God, flows through you to other people. Now, why is this important? Why would it be important that that Jesus gives the authority to forgive sins to other human beings? And that could be another message. But one reason that I want to share with you this morning, that I believe it's important that human beings have the authority to forgive other people's sins is sometimes we need to hear the words, you are forgiven. Like so many things in our faith journey, it's one thing to understand it intellectually. It's another thing entirely to experience it in our hearts, in our bodies. And there's something liberating, there's something powerful It's a cathartic experience to hear the words, you are forgiven. Not just to to believe this in your mind, but to, to hear it with your ears, to have someone pronounce that over you. You are forgiven. There are many people, many Christians, maybe some of you, who are still haunted by sins in your past. Guilt and shame continue to 
to creep up from time to time in your life. You, you've confessed that sin hundreds, maybe thousands of times, but it, it continues to linger. In your mind, you know you've been forgiven, but you, you haven't experienced it with your, your heart and your body. This was true in my own faith journey. When I started pastoring in 1998, well, the truth is I was a bit of a party boy before I became a minister. And some of my, some of my past kind of haunted me a little bit. And there were some, some things in my past that, that, that I continued to feel guilt and shame over. And more than just guilt and shame, I would feel a sense of unworthiness. I'm, I'm not worthy to be a minister, to be a pastor. I would confess my sin and I would repent and and in my in my mind I knew I was forgiven but you know a few weeks maybe a few months would go by and then this this sense of guilt and shame would would rise within me and and I would again I would I would confess and and maybe the maybe the past 3000 confessions haven't taken but this one will and finally I think it was 2002 I went to a catholic church and I walked in and I, I, I went into the confessional booth. I had never been in a confessional booth before in my life. I wasn't raised Catholic. And I didn't really know what to do, but I'd seen enough movies that I figured, well, you just kneel down on the, the, the little bench thing and, and then you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. So that's what I did. And then I explained to the priest that I wasn't Catholic, but I just, I just needed confession. And the, the priest was very gracious and and very accommodating, and he, he received my confession, and, and at the end, he, he couldn't give me the Catholic absolution of sin, but he said these words, he pronounced these words, you are forgiven. And those words mattered. They changed, they, they broke this, this energetic hold, this haunting in my life, because I can tell you, these, these sins of my past that I had confessed probably thousands of times, some of them, I, that was 18 years ago, I have not felt the need to confess or repent of those sins since that experience. A weight was lifted, I was liberated, I was set free, and I no longer struggled with the same sense of unworthiness and guilt and shame. There is something profoundly liberating and transforming by having another human being speak those words over us. You are forgiven. We often talk about the fact that we are the hands and feet of Christ, because we are the body of Christ, but the body of Christ also has vocal cords. And sometimes we need to speak the truth of Christ. Sometimes what people need are to hear the words of Christ. You are forgiven. We often say that words are cheap. True. But the paradox is words are also incredibly powerful. The Bible says the words have the power to bring life or death and destruction. Sometimes words are not enough. <laughs> That's very true. You know what? Sometimes actions are not enough. Sometimes works of love are not enough. Sometimes people need to hear the words of truth, words such as you are forgiven. If any of you are still haunted by the sins of your past, if, it, if you still experience guilt and shame and, and, and feelings of of unworthiness creeping up in your life, I would encourage you to find someone that you trust, someone that is in tune with the Spirit of God. Not a perfect person. Perfect people don't exist. <laughs> but someone who is in tune with the Holy Spirit. 
And also someone who is who is comfortable and willing to hear your confession. Not everyone is going to be comfortable taking on that priestly role. But I encourage you, find someone who you can trust, who is in tune with the Spirit, and is comfortable with this priestly role, who will hear your confession and who will pronounce forgiveness of sins. It could change your life. It really could. It did mine. This has been a lot of information. Thanks for hanging in there. I want to close with this. The point of my message is this. During this pandemic, some of you may be feeling powerless. And I want to remind you that you have tremendous power. You have incredible power. You have the power to be a good friend. And that power can change lives. You have the power of faith. And that power can change lives. In Christ, you have the authority to forgive sins. And in the Spirit, that power can change people's lives. You have incredible power, sisters and brothers, and I encourage you to walk in that power and use it wisely. Sisters and brothers, I bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I bless you with the love of God. I bless you with the peace of Christ. And I bless you with the joy and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.